TLDR, you guys are awesome. All right, Joe, we have heard a lot about our uh, interviewee today, and this man needs no introduction. I mean, Marvel, Vertigo, now he's doing his own thing at AWA, and God, just some of the titles that he's been attached to over the years and the stuff that they're doing now at AWA, I mean, you don't need me to tell. You're the one telling me about AWA all the time. <laughs> yeah, it's been absolutely fantastic, and I, I you know, took a total shot in the dark, you know, reaching out on Twitter to see if we could we could try and get him here today. Much how we got, you know, Sean Lewis, uh, who, who we talked to, uh, you know, Fairly recently, time. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so – uh, without further ado, we have uh, from AWA Studios, Axel Alonzo. How you doing, Axel? Great. Thanks for having me. Oh, please. I mean, we had, uh, we had what was it? We had Colin Bunn on. He was the first one to mention you to us. This is in the course of this conversation. I think actually because, you know what? We were talking to him about Bite Size. That's what we had him on for. And uh, then, of course, talks about your stuff in Marvel. Rodney Barnes starts talking about you as well. We didn't even mention the Colin stuff. And that's when Joe are like, all right, we got to find a way to get get on get this guy on this. And I mean, when you hear these names in the business, who I know you work with all the time, so it's for you, it's probably like nothing. But does that, when you know your colleagues feel so strongly about you doing such a good job, does that mean anything to you when you're going about your day to day routine? It's always something to me. Always something to me when people enjoyed working with me or, or recognize what I do, without a doubt. <laughs> And can you tell us a little bit about, I know, some, you know people from AWA, you have some names that we've seen you attached to in the past. I'm curious, how in general did AWA come about? Well, what happened is uh, shortly after I, I parted ways with Marvel, I got a reach out from Bill Jemas, who had been the president at Marvel Comic Books, who hired me back in 2000. He said, hey, listen, I'd like you to get together with a man, a friend of mine, for a drink. He's in town next week. His name is Jonathan Miller. So I said, sure. So I met Jonathan. I'm thinking Jonathan's going to be a venture capitalist or something like that. Mm -hmm. I meet him and we talk. I really like Jonathan. And I find out that Jonathan is the guy who sold Miller World for Mark Miller. Oh. Oh. <laughs> okay. He's a huge fan of the medium. And he and Bill have been talking about building a new publisher on the scene. And when they saw that I was not at Marvel anymore, they reached out to me to become a partner in the enterprise. So again, one of the first people I called was Mark. I said, is John for real? Is Jonathan for real? And Mark Miller said, get in business with Jonathan if you can. Yeah, yeah. I'd imagine <laughs> yeah, so. geez. I would think so. Wow. I already, I already knew Bill because I work with him and I know he's crazy. But but I crazy that I, that I relate to. So I said, yeah, I'm in. Oh, that's, that's holy Jeez. smokes. And now so, he's the chief creative officer. Whew. Yeah. So, so with that, it, you know, this idea of let's, let's, let's start a new, you know, let's start something new, a new studio. What were some of the things that were important for you uh, to create this new studio, Rob? Sure. Well, basically the reason I, it, the, the, the operative logic is it's very hard to become a publisher and survive as a publisher, but I feel like I learned a lot at Vertigo and at Marvel about the industry and also about the freelancer, the needs of freelancers, the needs and fears of freelancers out there. <clears throat> so I thought, look, right now, comic book artists and writers have two options. Either they do work for hire, which is to say they do a character for Marvel or DC, they get paid a, a page rate that's either small or large, and they, and they get their name up, but it's a guaranteed paycheck, but they own nothing, or, they do work creator-owned where they take a risk. They go out there and say, look, I'm going to create something from new, 
and then they get paid based on the performance of what they, they create. So there's always the chance you'll get the next Walking Dead. But then again, you might not. <laughs> right, right. So the thing is, now, if you're a writer, a writer has a chance to take a lot of swings at bat, right? They can mm-hmm. write a Marvel title one week, a screenplay the next, and then do it creator-owned, and they'll, they'll be able to feed their family. But an artist has to make a tough choice. An artist has to decide, okay, do I draw Deadpool or Robin for a guaranteed paycheck, or do I take a chance on creator-owned where I might get a big thing going, but then again, I might not. My paycheck might be meager. Mm-hmm. So there's risk involved for them. It's a tightrope walk. So I thought, listen, if we could provide the, the security of work for hire, meaning the steady paycheck, where we take the risk, we guarantee payment for the work, regardless of performance, but also offer all the perks of creator-owned, which is to say, give them a stake in what they create, and most importantly, give them the freedom to create from scratch. So they're invested in it. You know, they got, they got skin in the game. Many people do the best work when it's their idea. Preacher, Garth Ennis, you follow me? Oh, yeah. People come up with their own idea. They're more invested financially, of course, but also spiritually and emotionally. So my theory was if we can offer the best of both worlds to creators, we'll have a chance of being something special. And luckily for us, we have really, really great investors who believe in our mission statement and believe in the fact that we're going to be treating artists fairly giving them the security of a, of a steady paycheck. You know, we take all the risk for them. Yeah. They get paid, but they have ownership of what they do. They have a stake in everything they do. Then, so we're off to a really great start, despite yeah. COVID. Despite COVID. Right. Yeah, right. Because the books that have come out so far, I mean, I've I've got a list in front of me. Of all, I've read at least seven or nine different titles. And I, I've, I joke with Nick. Well, not joke with Nick. I have this rule where... Like in the past, if it's boom, if it's number one, I read it regardless. And I've gotten there now with AWA. If I take a look and I see an AWA book is coming out that week, I'm grabbing it and and I'm giving it a shot. And they've all been they've all been fantastic. And one of the things I've noticed from AWA is that the tone of the books that come, you know, generally the tone of the books that come out from from you guys is much different than the tone of the books coming out from Marvel, DC, Boom, Dark Horse, you know, etc. So, you know, was that something that you wanted to like? Was that a, a very important thing for you to set out from the start? Is we need to be different. We want to have a different tone. These are the yeah. types of stories that we want to tell. Yes, I mean, I have a career in comic books that spans Vertigo and Marvel, of course. At Vertigo, I went to Vertigo when it was a line that was largely defined by Neil Gaiman and the fantasy books. You know, and the thing is that that's great and fine, but again, that's that ain't, that ain't my bag. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm not into fantasy. It's just not. It's just not a genre I grew up reading. I I don't think I read the the Lord of the Rings. You know, again, I've always liked. I've always liked. I know. I guess you. Oh. I don't like Star Wars. I don't like Star Wars. You know, it's just oh. it's not for me. I I'm I like crime, horror, thriller, and certain kinds of sci- speculative sci-fi. So the thing is, when I was at Vertigo, I wanted to create books that felt like the movies books and tv shows i liked and there wasn't a lot of that coming on at the time most of the comic books at the time were either marvel superheroes dc superheroes or vertigo which is doing dark fantasy so i got involved with books like preacher 100 bullets human target the anthologies because they were books testosterone fueled vertigo books you know yeah then i went to marvel when my goal was to do offbeat books 
featuring the Marvel characters. Because when when Bill Jemis offered me a job at Marvel the first time, I declined. Oh, really? I, I don't give I don't I don't give a shit about Spider Man. Huh. I haven't read I haven't read Spider Man since I was thirteen. Yeah. Wow. Okay. His, his response his response was read up. <laughs> I read the Hulk. I read X Men for the first fucking time. And I came away saying, you know what? Hulk is a, is a story about about monsters. It's science fiction thriller. X Men is science fiction. Huh. Spider Man is an adventure story with whiffs of science fiction. If you treat them like genre books, you have fun. Punisher is crime. Yep, right. Which is how I got Garth to come over when he was sick and tired of doing Punisher Marvel Knights. He was done. I said, how about you just do it as a crime book, R-rated, in the real world? In this world, there's no Daredevil. There's no X-Men. It's just men that deserve to die. Yes. Garth said, I'm all in. I'm all in. <laughs> then, then TV show, it, was, it was an R-rated crime thriller that lasted like 70 issues. So for me, I wanted the one through line of my career has been trying to do books that kind of bridge mainstream and indie. You know what I mean? Uh, yep. Yeah. Mainstream, okay. the blend and bridge mainstream and indie. Because I'm I'm up for a popcorn thriller in the summer, but I also like a movie that's more cerebral. So yeah, right. movie, let's have some fun. So I think I did that at Vertigo and at Marvel, and I want to do that at AWA with books that I think blend and span genres. That are fun, like bad mothers take taken with a soccer mom, right? Yeah, yeah. Liam Neeson with a soccer mom. You got to <laughs> see what happens. <laughs> you know, Archangel Ladies. If you took Archangel Ladies, if you take John Constantine and Frank Castle and merge them. Oh yeah, yeah. oh wow. yeah. That's one of our favorites. Yes, whoever wrote up that description for that book was it was spot on. I'll tell you, what, we were just talking about it for our mainline issue for mm -hmm. uh, and, and Marjorie Finnegan, which she dropped wow. this week. Uh, as we're talking, it's it was uh, we've really enjoyed this one yeah. too. And that one seems like it should turn into a show. I mean, I'm sorry, a movie, a movie. I should turn. Don't into be a movie. surprised. Don't be surprised. Okay. Yeah. One. I mean, you could do one. You could do one or the other. I don't know how if Garth's just going to stop at eight, but. Um, it's it's been really good. And actually, speaking of Garth, of course, he's an important part of the uh, creative team. He's, he's on the AWS Creative Council, and yeah. I'm curious: was he an important part of for you in general putting together your team and, and accomplishing that mission that you're talking about with us now? Yeah, when I went in, I wanted to make sure that I had on the Creative Council people who spanned comic books and other medium, who had success in both comic books and other medium. Because for me, a good story is a good story, whether it's a book. A cartoon, a comic book, a movie or TV show. When I make a comic book, I'm looking to make a, I'm making looking to make a comic book first and foremost. I make comic books, but I'm trying to make a good story. Whether it's Preacher, 100 Bullets, X-Men, or or Bad Mother, I want a good story that I think can be told in any in many mediums, any medium. So the no thing is, for me, I wanted to work with people that I felt were the top of their craft. J. Michael Straczynski. Of, of of course, Sense Eight, Babylon Five. He wrote Amazing Spider-Man for like seven years. Thor. He wrote World War Z, the movie. I mean, he's all over the place. He's a cottage industry. Garth Ennis, Margaret Stoll, who had a, a big hand in, in, in gaming, and, uh, and as well as as well as writing Captain Marvel, at Marvel. Reginald Hudlin, a, a producer, director of movies and TV, who wrote Black Panther for me for like seven years. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, and last but not least, Frank Cho. And, Gertha, and, and and Greg Hurwitz, uh, a New York Times bestselling crime writer who wrote Batman and Punisher for me. So and if, 
heavy, heavy hitters in that role. In that role. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to say the least. I mean, and, and I know we're Joe and I keep getting stuck on Garth, but I mean, like, of course, we you have Marjorie Finnegan. He's in obviously in the news quite a bit with the boys and everything too. Of course, that's elsewhere. But then obviously, Preacher had its run on TV, and we all love that book, and you were involved with that. But uh, Joe and I would be remiss if we didn't ask, you know, a little bit about that. And yeah. when, like, obviously, a much different time because you were there from what was it, ninety four to two thousand, right at Vertigo. Yeah. 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 Do you think that preacher could have been published now? Uh, yes, I do think. I think. Well, first of all, I think it's a forerunner. It it paved the road for most of the creator runs you're seeing right now. Mm-hmm. It paved the road. No doubt. No doubt. And the thing is, also, it was a different kind of book than anything being done at the time, especially at Vertigo. As I as I as I joke, I wrote about the, part of the reason it was so popular is because I felt like the dirty little secret of Preacher was it was a superhero book in disguise. Hmm. He had superpowers and a costume. He had a sidekick in Cassidy, a girlfriend in, in Tulip, and he had the best fucking Rose Gallery this side of Batman. <laughs> Star, yeah. the Pope, Jesus the Sod. So yeah. he had all the trappings of a superhero wrapped up in an R and NC-17 rated comic book. No. Yeah, yeah, it was dark. Yeah. And uh, but you're right. We, I mean, we of course it's it's one of the all timers. It's absolutely legendary. No, I so think, oh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, if you're responding to the culture now with the yeah. culture that preacher is what you're asking. Yeah, I mean, it's just such it's yeah. it's such a. I mean, I know I've heard stories about like I don't know if it was you that had to deal with it at the time specifically, but I remember hearing Garth talk one time about the whole chicken scene and like mm-hmm. how that was just the whole thing. And I just don't know if like now I would read it now, like no question, yes, it's outstanding. But it's just a matter of the pushback that you guys I would imagine get if you were publishing it at this time. Well, it's a it's a good question. First of all, no joke. One Thursday every month, I would get to the office. I would open my emails. I would wait to see the email from Paul Levitz that says, Axel, we don't need your services anymore. Oh, that was Thursday after that issue of Preacher came out. Oh, my God. Because Garth was pushing the envelope. And I'd be saying, hey, dude, you're not gambling with your job. You're, you're gambling with mine. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't risk it at the time. <laughs> so the thing is, I think that it was always a dangerous book. It was always controversial. I think that it was dangerous in its time because of the right wing. People took, ex- took exception to how it pushed the envelope in regards to issues of sacrilege mm. and in government and stuff like that. Right now, I think it would be controversial for different reasons. Mm-hmm. I think it might get decried because of its the profanity and the sex stuff and all the rest, you know, because our culture swing the far left as well as the far right. Might so basically, at any point in time, what you're telling me is that Preacher is going to piss some people off. Without a doubt. Yeah, well, that's, that's when you're doing a good job, right? What was that pitch like with, with Garth? And what was the moment where you said, yes, we're, we're doing this, no questions asked? Gar- by Garth Ennis and Steve Dillon. Yeah. Written, oh. No, yeah. Oh, oh, that was it. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> honestly, not to trump you, but the biggest question for me was the ending of the book because in Garth's proposal, he was very clear. At the end of the series, I'm going to kill God. There you go. And I'm like... You know, so I'm like, okay, we'll see if we can get away with this. <laughs> <laughs> and I waited for Karen Burke kept asking, hey, how's the series end again? Yeah, well, <laughs> there's a thing and a thing, and, uh, you know, it's going to be fun. Can't find it. Yeah, I can't find the proposal. Where'd that go? Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's around here somewhere. I'll, I'll, I'll get back. Yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. 
one of the things I, I, I love, I, I don't do this with a lot of uh, books, but uh, at, at the end of, you know, each issue from an AWA book, you have your ax to grind and you mm-hmm. talk about a different book, a different series. And, and I had read Archangel 8 and a couple of other books, but I hadn't yet read Resistance. And I was reading one of your axes to grind, talking about, you know, J. Michael Straczynski and, and Resistance and how when you part of part of the reason why you formed AWA or one of the things you wanted to accomplish when you started AWA was you wanted to create this uh, this you know, superhero, you know, is sort of multiverse with these superheroes. And that sort of seems like one of the pillars, you know, that AWA started on. What are some of the other uh, like themes or, or or pillars that you want to, you know, go forward with and, and, and present down the in the future with AWA? Well, speaking to the uh, shared universe, the important thing was I figured, look, the Marvel, the DC universe was created with characters rooted in the 40s and 50s. And for the most part, they're cops, yeah. the law enforcement figures. The Marvel heroes were the 60s and 70s, with a couple in the 80s, maybe. They were all counterculture characters, you know? But they're all rooted in different decades, and the people that grew up reading them are my age, you know, your age. Yeah. The thing is that the world is a very different place right now than it was back then, so I think it's high time to have a universe that's rooted in what's going on now, that looks like what... People don't care about people aren't worried about nuclear war now the way they used to be. Right. You know, it's not it's not about nuclear war and the Cold War. We're not worried about gamma radiation and stuff like that. We're worried about things like megaviruses, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, resistance. You know, what, what happened is that the resistance came out, resistance number one hit stores the day of the shutdown. Yeah. It was the other day, yeah. Now, two, Unreal. Two years before that, I went to Straczynski's house in LA, his mansion, to talk with him. I said Hey, I want to build a superior universe. You want to be a part of this? We talked about it. And then we talked about ideas. And I said, look, I think the one thing I, it's his universe, but my one idea was, I said, look, let's, um, let's make sure that a universe is created by a tragedy. Yeah. One tragedy happens and it affects the world in a negative way. And out of this is born a superhero species. So that way you can have people from around the world, Africa, China, Afghanistan, Schenectady, you know, who all are linked like mutants and X-Men. They're linked by circumstance. They're born in an event. They're born under the sh- under the cloud of a tragedy that makes people scared of them and fearful of them. And without a missing a beat, JMS said, it should be a pandemic. Oh, nice smokes. He said, he said, what people are worried about right now is a super flu that won't go away. I said, mm-hmm. sold. I said, sold. He wrote the script a year and a half before COVID happened. And then the issues were all done by the time COVID happened. So it came out the week of the pandemic. We're like, how, how, how uh, pro- prophetic is that? You know? Yeah. To say yeah. the least. Because I, I, I talked about this book a couple of weeks ago and that was one of the things I said, you know, the making of this book had went in you know, well before we had any idea, you know, what, what, what COVID was. And this is the first time, you know, in my life where I can, you know, read the pages of a comic book and be like, fuck, that's real. That's going on right now. And it absolutely blew my mind. Well, we were, we were thrown, we were, we were really surprised by that because the thing for us is we wanted to be relevant to the 21st century. We wanted to deal with issues relevant to the 21st century. And I, and we wandered into this where JMS was smart enough to imagine what that thing would be that might 
decimate the world and also galvanize it. Mm-hmm. And so that was, he came up with that. And then also was intriguing about it is that because of this, what grows out of this is the world is embracing fascism born of fear because people are getting scared of this new race of people called the reborns. Mm-hmm. They're worried about them. It's xenophobia, plain and simple. Hmm. Sound familiar? Yep. Sound yeah. The thing is, again, we're trying to touch upon, we feel like we're being relevant to the world we live in. Right. In the resistance, you've got a president from a third party who rises on, on, a, on a platform of fear and division. He becomes the president that he, his, his number one agenda is to hunt down the reborns. Mm-hmm. So again, I feel like we're being relevant to the times. You know? Yeah. Yeah. A little too on the a little too on the notes. Maybe maybe too. Yeah, I know a little bit too. It's not escapism, escapism. Right. right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Joe, who's Marvel's heyday dealt with gamma radiation and stuff like that. And right. the fear of a you know of nuclear war and all the rest. So it did it in its own way as well. Joe, who's the actor that that looks exactly like the president from the resistance? I cannot oh, Ed remember. Harris. Yes, who Ed Harris. Be? Who could it be? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Strong results. You got Ed Harris as president over here. You got AOC showing up in Bliss over at Image Comics. It's just everybody's showing up. But um, you know, when you, I know you still. There's the whole thing about the pillars too that you want to talk about. But in general, with the um, building this like multiverse and superheroes and everything, I would imagine that when it comes to dealing with the um, you know, ramifications, like that's one thing where you deal with Marvel and DC, you have these legacy characters. who's like, they're untouchable. Like the ones that are un- that you can kind of mess with are like those B C level characters. But I'm curious with AWA, do you want to be able to push the envelope with everybody and anybody? Yeah. Well, what it comes down to is that these characters are new. So don't get too attached to anyone at your own <laughs> risk. You follow me? For starters, yeah. We want death oh, yeah. to be death for starters at the gate and we want the characters to span the world and most importantly i want the books to have very different flavors like coriander's is erratic was a really bouncy fun uh young teen hero book right mm-hmm. it had a really cool flavor like spider-man or, or robin you know yep. mm-hmm. it's very very youth friendly whereas whereas the resistance is darker and grimmer we have more books coming out in the next few months uh, one that's very dark a dark Dark, but a dark comedy. Oh, it's kind of a vigilante of the of the universe, or mass vigilante that's coming out toward the end of the year. Oh, it, okay. As dark as the resistance, but but again, it's also very funny. It's got a real twist on the paradigm. Love hmm. that. Love that. I like that a lot. So yeah, but as far as the other paradigm, other pillars is that, you know, part of what we do is we do a shared universe, but largely what we do is create our own books. Books that exist in their own universe. Books that like Preacher or The Walking Dead or Saga exist in their own ecosystem. And they, they're their own closed story. So we've got a bunch of those. And my rule there is no rules. It's any and all genres and spanning genres. Okay. I was at, at a Comics Pro, we got a really good response from people. People were saying, you know, um, we have readers coming in like you, Joe. Who they, they they have all of these books on their pull list now. They say, I want to read all the AWA books now, which is really heartening. But one of the retailers said to me, Why don't you define yourself as a horror line or a sci fi line or this or that? I said, Because that's the last thing on earth I want to do. Mm-hmm. That is the last thing I want to do. I want us to have the freedom to span and blend all genres. I mean, Redemption was a sci fi Western. Love that book, by mm-hmm. the way. Bad Mother is a, is a pure neo-noir crime book with a twist. Archangel 8 is supernatural 
espionage, mm-hmm. erratic mm-hmm. is pure superheroes for kids or teens. Um, go down the list. Marjorie Finnegan is a black comedy sci-fi book. Yep. Pushes the envelope. By the way, the first page of the second issue of Marjorie Finnegan, oh, yeah. I legitimately laughed out loud. I mean, yeah. shit. <laughs> and, the thir- and the third, the third. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yep, that too. Yeah, but I'm like, I'm looking at it like, oh, gee, I, I mean, I already know Garth wrote it, but it's like, yeah, geez, yeah. You think this is a fucking Garth Ennis book? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's a lot of fun. It's yeah. a lot of fun. It, it, there's stuff coming up that's going to really, uh, it's gonna it's gonna curl your hair, man. It's crazy. Oh, I can't yeah. wait. So you know when we, we mentioned earlier when we talked with uh, you know Cullen Bud and we talked with you know Rodney Barnes, they, not only did they both you know really just talk you know positively about their experiences with you, but one of the things they also you know talked about was you you know sort of telling them take the risk, go mm-hmm. for it. You know, people aren't gonna like or everyone's not gonna mm-hmm. like this, but you've got to write it because it, it's good, it's interesting, you know, it's fascinating. And and, and especially with Rodney at the time, because I believe he said it was really his first gig in, into writing comics. And one of the things that, you know, I was thinking about when we knew we were going to have you on is I just want to know sort of what it is that you look for with new, you know, upcoming writers and, you know, advice that you, you give them. And, and what is it that, you know, that makes you want to take a chance on them? Well, first of all, I look for a voice. A voice down there, even if it's raw, a voice and a perspective, a point of view. They have something to say. They have a passion they're into. Like John Lees, who did Hotel for Us, did a book called Sync that I read. And I really enjoyed it. If I'd edited it, I would have had some suggestions. But again, <laughs> I thought it was wonderful. You follow me? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because we spoke about ideas. We, we, we ended up with Hotel, and he, 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 he he's, he's amazing. You know, we work with him on a couple of, of – of, Ideas to incorporate in the first arc, you know, helping him shape it. But it's all his—it's all his creation. It's all him. So I look for a voice, and 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 raw skill, you know, because you can always. I'm a, I'm a basketball coach as well. Oh. It's like the thing is, I've been coaching for years. It's like you could tell if a kid can play basketball or not very early on. Yeah. You can tell also like they're coachable or they're not. You can coach someone up on their talent, you know. But again, you have to see it's there to begin with. Right. To get them to a certain level. Wilkirk, random aside, are you a Knicks fan or a Nets fan? I grew up in in, in California. I grew up in, in San Francisco. I'm Golden State Warriors fan since okay. day one. Okay, all right. Yeah, I'm not a born again. I suffered for decades. <laughs> suffered for decades for that team. Okay, yeah, nice. yeah. I earned, I earned my pride. <laughs> Good. We can get behind that then, because I think Rodney's a Lakers fan, so that's you know a little. Oh, I hate the Lakers. Oh. Oh. Yeah, so like a, a common a common uh, hatred there. Yeah, well, Sean, and Sean Lewis is a Knicks fan too, so it's like, I mean, I don't know how mean you can be in that situation. But right. Anyways. Yeah, I tried to, I, I mean, I root for the Knicks in a small way. Like, they're from the home team and also Brooklyn as well. Mm-hmm. But it's hard to root for Brooklyn because it's a super team aspect. Yeah. Oh, yep. You don't need that. But then again, they're Brooklyn, so I got to represent, you know? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a Warriors fan, first and foremost. You don't need to represent the Nets. We, you know, we're, we're Boston guys, so Kyrie's like, you yeah, know. Yeah, I hear, you. I hear you. Yeah, trust me, I, I hear you. <laughs> but I tell you that team, the team before Kyrie that went deep in the playoffs with yes, that team is one of my favorite teams I've ever watched. I remember saying to people, that team if they played the Warriors in the finals, I'd have a hard time rooting against them. They were on fire. I loved that. Did you like Kenny Atkinson a lot too? Say what? Kenny Atkinson, the coach. Did you like him too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 
I covered, so I did for uh, I did cover the team for a little bit of time, and I was there like when Kenny got let go, and it was just all like, what the what just happened? You turned from the culture nets to the super team nets, and now it's like, see you, Kenny, and now all that's left from that team is Joe Harris and Dinwiddie, who's who's hurt. It's just so weird. But anyways, we're getting we're getting sidetracked here. It's just, <laughs> it's too easy with us. Um, that Celtics team was was really fun to root for. What did you say, Axel? I could talk basketball or boxing all day long, but yeah, but comics, yeah. Yes, but boxing, <laughs> interesting. Um, so kind of back to what Joe was alluding to with the, the new writers and stuff, I'm curious when it comes to artists specifically, you, you know, one thing that's so important, of course, you know, you we have certain art that speak to us more than others. Um, Joe's talked about artwork that I don't necessarily care about before, and then there's stuff that I like that doesn't necessarily resonate with him. But what matters most is at the end is does it fit the tone of the story? And yes. I and, and obviously that's so important. And I'm curious as someone who is a decision maker and all that, how do you decide who to pair with what story, with what writer? Well, it starts with it starts with with uh, for all editors, it starts with who's available. Mm-hmm. Who's who? Who could fit into their schedule doing it in the first place? But then it comes down to, I start with who would be good for this book to see if they're available, and then they're interested. But I usually try and find someone I think tonally matches the book and will get the book. And over time, I've learned who different artists are, what their what appeals to them, what their what their passions are. You know, I want to work with AC, ACO. Did Nick Fury for me at Marvel, so I reached out to him for American Ronin. Because I knew he had a lot of fun doing Nick Fury. I knew Peter Milligan was writing a really fun espionage book with a faint whiff of sci-fi. Mm-hmm. There was really benefit from ACO's freedom. Peter's a very collaborative writer, too. So he, he was very happy to have ACO run with his scripts and have some fun. Mm-hmm. So the great appearing, I thought, worked out very royally at the end of the day. So is, uh, is there someone that hasn't uh, written or been a part of AWA that you very much want to bring in and, and, and either write a story or get consult in some sort of way? For sure. For sure. Yeah, there's a lot of people. I, I can't name names because it's a little too pathetic for me to say that. I know it would be like a tampering thing. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. No, there's, there's lots of people. And in fact, I'm in discussions with some already. People that I want to have come in. You know, again, th- these days things are tricky yeah. because a lot of people have been caught up in the exclusive contract war between Marvel and DC comic books where mm. they're doing a, a lot of work, you know, for one company and they're, they're kind of their hands are tied. Yeah. On yeah. a couple of occasions, I've had people reach out to me saying, God, I wish I could work with you, but I'm an exclusive. Many, more than one occasion, several occasions, you know. I say, well, if you want to break the exclusive, you know my number. You know. That kind of <laughs> um, well, speaking yeah. speaking of Marvel, though, just to take a quick aside with this. Um, so we know that Colin had told us he actually told us the story. I can't remember if it was how Deadpool kills the Marvel Universe or how he does it again came up because one of whatever it was, it was on a retreat, I believe. Which one was that? The first one or the second one? Probably I think he said it was the second one. Maybe yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I don't remember. Okay. Thinking, I remember that I thought, thought it would be a lot of fun to break the fourth wall with Deadpool, killing the Marvel Universe like the Punisher did a few years before. Mm-hmm. So you obviously like Ryan Reynolds has done a lot for the character on the big screen, and we all love what he's done. But in the comics, he's an outstanding character. But you were, you know, people thank Ryan Reynolds for what he's done. But it seems like you know, based on our just a brief conversation beforehand, they should actually be thanking you a little bit more because you're the one that kind of 
push using this character Morgan, where he'd kind of been on the sidelines. So you could tell us a little bit about why you felt that you, what, what led you to doing that. Well, at one point, what happened is uh, Deadpool was in a book that had a, a good core following of readers called Cable and Deadpool, but mm. was not, not was it cancellation numbers? And I thought, you know what? This character deserves his own solo series, and he's unique because he spans comedy and action. Mark, mm -hmm. I would describe him as, in college, there's a guy, you have a party, and there's a guy that wakes, you wake up in the morning, there's a guy on your couch, hungover, covered in, in you know, in whatever, who essentially is just totally messed up. Who the hell is this guy? And you can't get him to leave? That's Wade Wilson. You know? Yeah, that's He's not that right. Guy. You can't hate him. You know, you him, but, but you fear him. You know, he is who he is. So I thought, you know, he's the guy. He's that guy. Mm -hmm. He's, you know, again. So let's bring him back. Let's bring the humor in. Have some fun and break the fourth wall a lot. Mm -hmm. Do what makes him unique. And it worked out really. You know, Daniel Wade's run, which was very, very, very long and very successful, found found its way into the movies as well. And then Colin, what he did, and then later on, Jerry Dunn and Brian Posehn. Yeah, it's, yeah. You don't need to sell. You, 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 yeah. It goes without saying with Deadpool, but yeah, it's crazy to think that like you had to give that extra push. Every character in the library at Marvel or DC is unique for a reason, and this is a certain kind of story. The thing mm -hmm. is, the Punisher exists to tell a certain kind of story. If you're going to do a book called Captain America, your your hero is dressed in red, white, and blue. Yeah. Figure mm -hmm. out what you should be talking about. You know, it's not the same book as 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 Thor. Iron Man. Many people forget that. <clears throat> yeah, it was it was funny. Cullen Cullen was telling us that he got such heat in the first uh, Deadpool kills the Marvel Universe killing Spider Man okay. that in the second one he decided he said, you know what, screw y'all, I'm gonna kill everyone Spider Man knows and love as a as a bit of a troll job. And you know, I just that <laughs> that I cracked up yeah, as soon that. as he said that. Well, Deadpool uh, kills. Deadpool kills the Marvel Universe. The first, the first series, that collection is one of the best-selling Marvel collections ever. It's like twenty-four yeah, printings or something like that. It's crazy how popular it is. Twenty-four printings. Holy smokes! Yeah, it's crazy. It's yeah. just over and over and over again. Yeah. It's obviously. I mean, we love it. It's obviously a must-read. Shit, I didn't know twenty-four printings. Good God! Yeah, it's like that. Something like that. Yeah, it's really high. Really high up there. Well, I think it's great because it's it's different. You know, Nick and I would talk about you know why we love indie comics is because they can tell stories that are so different that that just sort of take us away. It's not just okay, super good guys gonna kill bad guy and have an epic battle, you know, in space or whatever. Like indie books, you can create all these unique characters. You can take them down so many unique roads, and and you know, at DC. And it can end. And with DC and the black label stuff, they're able to do a little bit more. And so I think that's that's, that's part of the appeal. I've got now. That's the freedom I've got now with, at AWA is that at Marvel, you inherit legacy characters. You've got a very opinionated fan base. They get really pissed at you when you do something they don't like. You have to listen to them and deal with them. Also, you need to also be careful about what your own lines are, what right. you will or will not allow a character to do. I was always steadfast. The Hulk should never kill, you know? Mm. Banner's responsible. He should never put his life above others. You got lines you got to think about. With AWA, our characters are now they're new, they're virgins for the for the most part, you know. So we can do what we need to do with them in our stories, and we can figure out how we want the road we want them to travel. We can take risks, and again, we have the freedom to break things. Yeah, 
Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's, you know, I that's what I love as a comic reader. I just love to, I mean, yes, I love the stuff that I grew up on, but, you know, we, we love the new, the interesting, the the twisted, the all of it. And and I think that's part of, you know, what speaks to Deadpool kills the Marvel Universe is because it takes something that we know and it just, it's, just takes it a completely opposite direction and we can we can really just enjoy it for what it is um for that's for refreshing. those refreshing. a lot of fans yeah. that's refreshing to hear because a lot of there's many fans that say if it's not canon if it doesn't count i don't care yeah yeah i hate I'm yeah need a good story <laughs> i it's so i don't know why that it needs to be like that necessarily like i love like what like the uh, Murphyverse, right? That that stuff with Batman. I've really enjoyed that. I don't understand why it always has to be that way, but it seems like that's the majority. But there are definitely a contingency of us, Joe and I included, that don't necessarily need it to be like that. I like to be surprised. Yeah, give, yeah. Give, give me good shit. That's all I want. And you guys are you guys are doing that over there. And for somebody that is a new reader over at, with AWA. What would be, I know this is really putting you on the spot here, you know, maybe the first, you know, three things or even the first one thing you would recommend to them to go pick up? Well, it comes down to their tastes, really, at the end of the day. If someone is looking for a really cool crime thriller, I would say start with Bad Mother. If someone is looking for a good horror book, pure horror, like, like you know, a good horror movie, Hotel. <laughs> if someone really enjoys a good espionage book, You've got American Ronin. Yes. If if you if you want if you like if you if you're intrigued by the idea of a Western meets a sci-fi, a Western story told in an apocalyptic future, Redemption is your book. Um, Marjorie Finnegan is is black comedy sci-fi, so it comes down to what you're looking for. What are you looking for? What kind of read do you want? Years yeah, no. is an amazing zombie book, unlike anything that's been done before, that tells the the global global, the death of the world, seen through the eyes of various people around the world. Ben Percy, who does Wolverine, is writing that book. We've had two volumes so far. Amazing global look at the zombie apocalypse. So it comes down to what you want. And many people that said, ah, oh, we don't need another zombie book, read the book and said, holy shit, this is a <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I'm just taking a look now. And I, and, and I did, I mean, I've done American Ronin on the show. I've talked about Hotel. Uh, we've both, you know, read and talked about Archangel Eight. I've talked about Resistance. We, you know, we interviewed Colin Bud about Bite Size. I mean, there's just so, you're right. There's something here for everyone, and the tone is different, and the and the stories, like you just said, you should definitely get Ben Percy on, the guy that writes Devil's Highway, and Year Zero. He's an yeah. amazing novelist. Ben Percy's outstanding. Yeah. yeah. Sure. We'd love to have him on. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I'll reach out to him too. I'll, I'll recommend you guys. He's a really good writer, amazing writer, one of the best out there. And those two books are amazing contributions to what we're doing. They're very different. Devil's Highway is a wonderful crime book. Yeah. If you're a fan of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, this mm -hmm. book is for you. You know? Okay. Well, yep, yep. That's that's next. I'm going to go buy that yep. right after this. Yeah, you're programming our show over here. That's the right after. Yeah. And last but not least, if you want to see the birth of a new superhero universe that matters and is rooted in today, read The Resistance by J. Michael Straczynski and mm -hmm. and uh, and J. Mike Teodoro. Yep. And then the yep. second volume, Resistance yep. Volume 2 Uprising, and Moss, which just came out. Yeah. 
Oh Every time God. I hear fucking the name moss, so I hate moss, like like the bug moss. Every time, mm. I swear to God, I don't know what it is, but Joe, I didn't, I meant to tell you this, I found a moth in my bathroom the other day, I left my window <laughs> open, and I almost shit my pants. Not the moths from, from the resistance, but I, every time I hear that name, I'm like, fuck, well, I'm not reading that shit. That's how I feel about slugs. Oh. <laughs> I went to UC Santa Cruz. Okay. That, their mascot is the banana slug. Oh, oh, get out. Of all schools, why that one? Why would you do that to yourself, man? Oh, my God. <laughs> that is oh, brutal. If slugs were fast, I would move to a different country. Right, oh, right. Yeah, yeah, fast-moving yeah. slugs. That, that's all we need. Yeah, yeah. We're going to get a fast slug, you know, zombie apocalypse movie coming. You know? That's horrible. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. But, uh, but before we let you go, you know, Axel, one of the, the, the things we, we like to ask all our guests, because you know what we do on our show is each week, you know, I pick a book that Nick hasn't read, and, and vice versa, and we we talk about the book, and we we, we try not we, we try to not just get the you know the other person to read the book, but we want to you know sell it to you know all the people you know listening uh, you know or watching it because we, we love these books and we want you know it, it might be a title from an indie publisher or something that you might just have missed or the the, the maybe the casual comic book reader would, wouldn't hear of. And so what we always like to ask is, what is something that you're reading now? Um, well, what I would say is, if I would make a recommendation to someone to read something they may not have, is to read Brian Edward Hill's American Carnage. It was one of the last books that Vertigo put out. It's mm. an eight series. It's marvelous. Him okay. and Leander Fernandez. It's wonderful, nuanced. It's a crime book that deals with racial issues and tension. It's wonderful. The characters are amazing. He's That's the reason I reached out to him to do Chariot. Yes. Oh, okay. I love that book. Okay. The first people I called to do really? that together. I think I just heard Joe's pen click a little bit. So yeah. he's gotten that one down. But yeah, he's been on Chariot too. Oh, that's and awesome. It's amazing. I love that. Sci-fi, sci-fi adventure, another book. Yeah, well, yeah. Axel, we really appreciate you setting aside the time, and uh, we'll have to touch yeah. base again sometime. We love, I mean, God, so much, so much stuff that you've been through over the years with the comics yeah. and everything. It's just so impressive. So thank and you again. Feel, feel free to email me asking about Ben Percy. Yep. Why don't I'll reach out to him, all right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you, you very much. All right. Thanks, guys. All right, thank, thank you. you.